Hello, and welcome to the World Fellows podcast. My name is Emma Skye, and I'm director of the World Fellows program at Yale. My guest today is Kyriakos Kuparas from the World Food program. Kyriakos, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Emma. It's a pleasure to be here. So you are the head of Frontier Innovations at the United Nations World Food Program's Innovation Accelerator. How can tech be used to alleviate the global food? Uh, that's an excellent question, Emma. The way I see tech's role in alleviating the food crisis, at least from the perspective of the World Food Program, is twofold. In the first sense, tech can be used to help WFP and other organizations reach more people at a lower cost, more efficiently at scale and at speed. So if you think of technologies that many private sector companies use, such as artificial intelligence, data science, and other emerging tech that we take for granted in a lot of processes that we engage with, a lot of those technologies can be used uh, with organizations in the humanitarian sector to rapidly respond and to increase efficiencies. So in that regard, we are able to reach more people at a lower cost. In the second um, approach, I think that technology can also be used um, for early warning systems to help countries and individuals understand the impacts of climate and, and, and impending weather um, crises that impact agriculture and as well as people's livelihoods. So things like a drought earning warning system or flood using, again, uh, remote sensing, satellites, um, data science, machine learning, all of those tools can be brought to bear. From a resilience standpoint, technology can be used and should be used uh, in the production of food. And in many developing countries, Farmers still lack access to even basic technology, mechanization, uh, fertilizers, improved seed varieties. So all of these are also technologies that can enable farmers to grow more food, increase their livelihoods, and more importantly, enable them to adapt in, in the face of a changing climate and changing growing conditions. You know, I'm always struck, particularly here in the U.S., by the huge amount of food waste. And at the same time, we have a global food crisis. How, you know, how is this happening? Sadly, that has been a, a matter of fact for decades. Uh, the world currently produces enough food to feed 12 billion people. And yet more than 800 million people go to bed hungry every night. And it, it's not a very straightforward solution or answer. The, the, the bottom line is that food waste needs to be addressed, especially in uh, large developed economies like the U.S., where, as you rightfully pointed out, 40% of food is wasted post-consumer. So this is food that um, individuals and families will throw in the bin or restaurants, hotels, and other um, retail services also. And so that is something that needs to be addressed uh, directly. Uh, in addition to that, the, the food that is wasted in the U.S. and globally, in fact, uh, accounts to, I think the latest estimate was 10% of global climate change emissions. Um, that exact percentage might not be 
um, spot on, but it's definitely a significant contributor if you think about all the resources that it takes to produce, move, process, and distribute our food. Um, this is something that a lot of innovators are trying to tackle. This is something a lot of countries are trying to tackle. For example, uh, France passed a law uh, last year, I believe, uh, banning the um, the uh, disc uh, grocery stores from discarding uh, food. So they need to find ways to work with food banks and other facilities to ensure that food is being put to good use. So food waste is a huge issue in summary and one that needs to be tackled at the same time as we deal with the global food crisis. So while you were at Yale, you convened this whole group of leaders from across the food sector, healthcare, academia, foundations, community organizations. What were the, you know, why did you do this and what were the issues that you addressed? My personal belief is that food is the single most powerful lever to optimize human health and sustainability in our ecological system. And so my interest was to bring together leaders at the intersection of food, health, and environment. If you look at health indices in the US and across the world, the number one driver of chronic illness is diet-related, obesity, diabetes, uh, cardiovascular disease, undernourishment, uh, in, in the case of the work that I do with, with the World Food Program. And if you also look at any major environmental issue, water depletion, biodiversity loss, deforestation, and climate change, food again is a major contributor to all of those issues. In addition to that, social equity and social justice are um, intricately linked to the way that our food system is currently operating. Uh, poverty is, um, is a big um, underlying factor that can be addressed if we look at the way food systems are currently built. In many developing countries, agriculture is the number one um, economic driver. So for all those reasons, I thought it was important to bring together a multidisciplinary a group of leaders that are looking at food at a systems level from all the sectors that I just outlined, health, environment, social justice, and to really start to think about food at a, at a more holistic approach. There's this concept that's you know, planetary health. It, it's been discussed um, in the last couple of years, which is essentially, and it's, it's quite obvious, you can't have healthy people without a healthy planet. And so we need to drive solutions that can address both the health and the environmental impacts of our food system simultaneously, while also ensuring that food and, and the system that we build is equitable and uh, those who are impacted the most have a seat at the table. It always strikes me that people can come up with innovations at the intersection that you mentioned of food, health and environment, but how do you scale them so it's not just something that a few elite people sitting at a university at Yale can benefit from. That's an excellent point that you raise, and it was a big uh, discussion theme at the workshop that you referenced. Uh, fundamentally, I don't think there's a silver bullet. Um, there is a certain schools of thought that think that only at the grassroots can we really scale, which essentially means um, you know, having a thousand flowers bloom at once and really supporting communities and the organizations that address their needs directly. 
and and ensuring that we provide funding and support to as many of these community-based organizations as possible. We heard from an organic farmer yesterday who also highlighted that her approach is the only approach to grow food sustainably and, and, and provide nutrition. But uh, farmers, uh, especially at the scale in which she operates, have been historically under-supported, right? So that's one thought. How do we support all these small approaches? How do we incentivize a lot more people to emulate and adapt um, at, at the sort of local level? And then there's the other school of thought that says we need big organizations, large corporates to use their supply chains and their might and, and, and sophistication to scale um, these new approaches in the same way that they've scaled um, other approaches in the past. Um, our food system historically has been built to provide calories and not nutrition. Uh, but we've done an enormous, uh, we've come a long way in, in being able to feed 8 billion people. And now the challenge is to use the same infrastructure to actually um, grow food in a way that's both nutritious, sustainable, and most of all affordable, because that's one of the major barriers to nutrition. 3 billion people across the world cannot afford a healthy diet. I personally believe there's no either or. It's all of the above. We need all approaches need to be on the table, and we also really need to consider the current power structure that has resulted in the the food injustice that we see across the world. You mentioned earlier we have massive food waste at the same time we have nearly a billion people going hungry. Right? That's not a technology problem. That's a power and structural issue that needs to be addressed, and we also see that play out here in the U.S. So. So the bottom line is we need governments, we need corporations, we need NGOs, we need activists, we need farmers, we need innovators and startups, everyone coming to the table and to think about food holistically from a systems level and to really put those who are impacted the most at the center of what we do. Now you yourself are a real foodie and as I can testify, you are also an excellent chef. So where does your own love of food come from? I think my love of food is stems from definitely a, a cultural context. Uh, growing up in Cyprus, um, in 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 a Greek household, uh, food was always central to everything we did. Every celebration, every gathering, um, <clears throat> even if someone stopped by. Uh, I grew up in a very small village of 500 people, so you would always have relatives just stopping by. There was always something brought to the table to to invite the guest, and to, so food was uh, was a, a cornerstone um, a, a, in 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 my culture. But I also grew up. Uh, my dad's a chef, and so that definitely uh, inspired and at least taught me how to cook. I started cooking at at the age of ten, and so um, I always had a love and fascination with cooking, um, and and I really do enjoy bringing people together and there's no better way to do that than over a lovely meal well kiriakos keep on cooking for everyone and best of luck for the future thank you emma this was a real pleasure